This is a Radio.com original. And it's, it's built on marginal land anyway, so there, there's not a whole lot you're going to do with the place. So that I think Button Willow will be there for a long time. It's at the corner of Godforsaken Land <laughs> and the Interstate 5. <laughs> Greetings and exclamations, everybody. It's time once again for another Talking About Cars podcast where everybody has a car story. And this time around, I'm Randy Cardoon. Well, I'm always Randy Cardoon, but this time around, I am him again because, frankly, I'm the only one that showed up to audition. This is, of course, my partner in grime, kind of like slime and grime. That's right, Yeah. Hot Rod Bob back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming. Hi there, everybody. Hey, how you doing? All right. Now, coming up today, we're going to be talking about racetracks. And in Southern California, we're going to be talking about the fact that there are, believe it or not, over 1,200 racetracks in the U.S. And I'm not talking about horse tracks. We're talking about automotive racetracks. Of course. 79 of them in the state of California and only about 20 of them here in Southern California. Did you know that, Bob? I didn't realize there were that many still in Southern California. Well, and that's the interesting point because I'm going to, I have the list of the ones in Southern California and I'm going to guess that a lot of them no longer exist. And some Mm. of them are motor tracks, but they're like motocross. uh, I'm assuming they're bike tracks and that kind of thing. Other ones are superstar tracks that you see on TV all the time. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, uh, Joining us will be, Dar Hawthorne, who you know. Yes, I do. Go From way Nitro back. Reports. Yeah, we've been we've been around. We were on Speed Scene Live together. He and uh, Donnie Couch, who used to be the crew chief for uh, Tom McEwen, do mm. their Nitro Reports. And also would assist with color commentary for Nitro Passes at the Hot Rod Reunion in the March Beat. And also, a neighbor of mine, Harold Osmer, He's kind of an automotive racing historian. He knows okay. a lot about tracks that were in the area, and he knows about tracks that were in locations that you wouldn't believe if you are not an automotive aficionado or you follow this a lot, that you would actually think that they put racetracks in. Mm. Uh, so Harold's going to join us here in a couple of minutes, and okay. we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And then what they all have to do in this coronavirus COVID-19 thing and how some of them may or may not be doing so great. Right. And whether or not a lot of them are going to survive. I think in that instance, that's something we should all look at. So that's going to be coming up here. But uh, just checking, Bob, anything uh, exciting in your neck of the woods? Are you uh, doing any uh, racing or any driving or any stalling or conking Stall- out? Well, we, we just came back from uh, a day at Irwindale Drag Strip. That's still going strong. Now, they still can't have spectators, but they've been getting packed houses with racers. And they gave me some insight as to what's going to be happening even when the COVID restrictions are lifted. And it may not be what a lot of people want. Ah, very interesting. And uh, of course, we're going to talk a lot about the fact that some people are going to racetracks like that, all based on events. Like, for example, I belong to uh, Chrysler Performance West. It's a car club in Southern California. They're going to be having their Mm -hmm. fall fling. What it is where you don't necessarily get spectators, but you will if you have a car and you want to join and that kind of thing, then if you're going to race, then in theory, you could very well participate. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes later this month. 
It's going to be interesting. That's the 24th of October. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was down at the track yesterday to talk to them specifically about that event. So we'll see what happens with that. All right. Very good. Well, maybe Hot Rod Bob Beck will be there. All right. Let's get into the show. Bob, would you like to do the honors for us today, please? Dun, da, da, da. And they're here, ladies and gentlemen. There you see him, Harold Osmer, talking about tracks that were. And uh, Dar Hawthorne is going to talk about tracks that probably will be were somewhere along the line. That's horrible English, but you get my idea. Yeah. So welcome, guys, to the show. Uh, thanks for joining us. And I see you guys, uh, you're wearing the Nitro reports there, Dar. Well, it's a, it's a show that uh, Donnie Couch and I have been doing on uh, local Nitro and particularly on uh, the uh, NHRA Heritage Series for the last seven years. And we're really dealing with a very small fan base and, and small market there because it's what we love. That's great. And you and I were, we did this uh, as part of Speed Scene Live for that's a while. That's right. That's right. So that's where it got its start. And that's where gas uh, and nitro reports mixed. Spawned. Spawned, yes. <laughs> oh, here like we that. go. Now we're getting into the uh, R-rated stuff. Harold, thanks for joining us. What shirt are you wearing today, buddy? Turkey Night Grand Prix shirt. Ooh. All right. All right. Agajanian. Yeah, Agajanian Productions and whatnot. Um, I've been involved with it for about 20 years. I make the program. And it's one of many events that got canceled this year. It was going to be at uh, Ventura Raceway again and uh, for the third or fourth year in a row. And, um, of course, that's on the state fairgrounds. So not only do you have the standard COVID drama, whatever it is, but now you got to throw in the state and the county and everybody else. And that's one of the big events. It would have been the 80th running this year. It's the longest running motorsports event in California. And it, got canceled like so many others. Let me get some quick background on you guys before we really start getting into the races, raceways. And, and uh, Dara, let me start off with you. How did you get involved with racing and how long of a passion has it been for you? My dad took me to the Times Grand Prix in 1961 at Riverside Raceway. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Then when NASCAR came, I thought, oh, that's cool. And then when the Hot Rod <laughs> Magazine drags came, it's like, what are those other things? I'm, I'm stuck on drag racing. So from about 63, 64, 64, I went on my first national tour when I was 13 with uh, uh, Wild Bill Shrewsbury and Jack Christman and the Saxon Sons Comets. And the rest is, uh, my, uh, as, as Bill Shrewsbury said, to, whenever he introduces me to somebody, he says, I ruined this kid's life. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Harold, how long does this go back for you? Oh, this goes back to the uh, mid-1990s. I was a graduate student at Cal State Northridge, interested in uh, urban planning. And so I, I needed a graduate thesis. And this was right about the same time that California Speedway was being built. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I've been a fan. I went to Ascot a lot and that kind of thing. And I thought, well, there were probably 10 or 15 racetracks in L.A., and, you know, good practice if I just go find the book about the 10 or 15 racetracks in Los Angeles. Turns out there was no book. And that became my graduate thesis. What I discovered was that, you know, I, to, to summarize real quick here, I looked into, for the thesis part, I looked into where racetracks were in Los Angeles, what's there today, and what effect a racetrack had on future land use. The short answer is none. You know, if you think of a gas station, for instance, you can't just make flat and build a house. There's a zoning requirement, all these different things that go into play. So that's what I was looking at. 
But you know, like I say, the short answer to that question is none. The more fun answer is that more auto racing has taken place in Southern California than any other place in the world. From 1903 up to the current time, 174 different official racetracks just in Southern California, more than any other place in the world. And the 1903 event was at uh, uh, Agricultural Park, which is where the Coliseum is now. And we still have racetracks in the area. If you include uh, Bakersfield, we have uh, Kern County Raceway and Oildale and a couple of drag strips up there, as well as Irwindale Speedway in Paris and Ventura. So there are some active tracks still. But, and, the thing, uh, but, and, the, and the thing I was just going to say is uh, it just amazes me for some people that don't know, uh, near Gilmore Field over where uh, Television City is now, there used to be a racetrack there. Sure. That's it. Right at uh, Farmer's Market. And when I talked to uh, Hank Hilty over there, he said, yeah, they had to sell because the family was land rich and cash poor, as they say. And oh. so they had to sell. And the, the racetrack, Gilmore Stadium, was built in 1934. And, so, and it was primarily made of wood. So by 1950, it was about time for that thing to need renovations <laughs> and modernization and everything else. And so they weighed that against, you know, the studio, CBS Studios coming in saying, hey, you know, we'll, we'll buy that property and do this for you. And that's, that's how a lot of it went. You know, one other thing real quick, nobody along the way in Southern California ever came along and just said, no more auto racing, that's bad, I'm going to shut down that damn track. Nobody did that, not across the board. So, you know, we can rule that out right now. Wow. Although they've tried to limit the amount of racing, as in the case of Pomona. Oh, sure. Well, there, there's lots of those type of things that go on. But so yeah. far as just, you know, why the tracks went away, typically a racetrack was built on the outskirts of land, uh, outskirts of development on some marginal piece of property that maybe had seasonal flooding. Carroll Speedway, Ascot Park, those kind of things were, were like that. Later on, as the flood control channels and things like that came into play, now the property doesn't flood every year. Maybe we could build houses and whatever. So then the lease is up. You make flat with the grandstands. The racers go on their merry way, find another place. And then with drag racing, of course, after uh, World War II, we had all these extraneous airstrips lying about and all these people coming back, all these young men largely with a bunch of cash in their pocket came back and said, hey, I want to go racing. And so the drag strips came into play, the jalopies, the whole bit. It was a very dynamic time. That's Dar, pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Dar, t tell us a little bit about, um, I mean, you, you, for the most part, are connected, I guess, with the raceways up in Bakersfield. But which raceways did you grow up going to? Um, uh, Riverside a lot. Uh, but for, for a place where I didn't have to go overnight, uh, primarily uh, Lions, Irwindale, um, Ascot, you know, the, the, the ones I could drive home to, uh, my mom had always, always said as I was leaving for the day, uh, just make sure you call me before 10 o'clock. So I didn't, I know you're not in jail. <laughs> and that's absolutely true. <laughs> so I had great guidance, but I always kept a couple quarters in my pocket and I knew where the, uh, where the uh, payphone was at Lyons. Right, now, when you're talking about Irwindale, though, you're talking about the original Irwindale. The real trip. Irwindale. The, the real Irwindale, which <laughs> is uh, the parking lot for Miller Brewery now, mm -hmm. correct? That's correct. And it was, you know, it was like one of those things as they're going away, you think, oh, man, they can't be going away. No, we'll go, we'll go next week. 
and uh, there wasn't an, a, another next week. And it was, uh, it was a real tough time, particularly with what we'd had in terms of uh, Fontana, uh, 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 San Fernando Raceway, uh, you know, so many things that you could just, like you could go to, uh, uh, you go to Ascot on Thursday or Friday, go to Irwindale or Lyons uh, on Saturday, and then go to uh, San Fernando on Sunday and see an afternoon of drag racing. I remember that. In fact, I think the first time I went to a racetrack was San Fernando. And, uh, and uh, I think it was, my, uh, it was a guy that worked for my father's Firestone store that took the Firestone Chevy C10 and decided to race it. <laughs> and I thought, well, this isn't going to be good. And, and the guy goes, well, why don't you stay in the truck with me? And I was about 12 at the time. And initially, I thought, that's really great until I got right up there and everybody and we're up against this Mustang with slicks and everything else. And I went, I'll wait over here and just kind of, but, but that, those are the kind of racetracks that were out there all the time. You know, uh, you know, we were talking about this, Harold. I think there was even a raceway out in Agora, wasn't there at one point? There was. Um, one of the first official go-kart tracks was out in Agora. There was also a road course that ran on Tupper Ranch, which is let's call it the north side of the 101. They only ran there once. It was uh, Walt James and the, the sprint car guys did that. And Walt told me, he said, that place was a bunch of rocks. He said, nobody really <laughs> wanted to go back after that. No. But also over in Paramount Ranch, yeah, there was the uh, road course. And the road course, a lot of that is still there, which is fun. It's a, I think it's a skate park. And you can still go there and wander around and, and find parts of that old track. Absolutely if, true. Absolutely if you look true. at the way that track is laid out, and then you look at the way the track at Willow Springs is laid out, it's very similar. I understand that it was coincidental that they turned out that way. I think both of them, they just went out and decided, how can we use as much of this property as possible and create a nice road course here? And so they did. And that was the late 50s. When well, having, seen, having seen races out there, there were no guardrails. There was no way to right. keep anybody separate. Uh, from spectators from the, the race cars. But what a magnificent place to see. It was, you know, you might as well go there with a picnic lunch and, and, uh, and enjoy the day. And, oh, there's some sports car racing, too. <laughs> yeah, we, I, we took a tour up there a couple of years ago before it burnt down. That's the other problem now. Yeah. All the buildings mm -hmm. that were there are now gone because of the fires right. we had a couple of years ago. But they did show that in the first race, it, it was a horrific situation. The track was made to be run in one direction, and for some reason, they decided to run it in the opposite direction. And now the guardrails that they did have became things that stopped cars when they shouldn't have. And there was a, a couple of fatalities, I believe, in the first race that was there. And they only lasted for, what, two, I think it was two or three seasons. All right, only two or three seasons. And they just ran a couple of essentially club events. The other thing that they had was there was a crossover bridge. And anytime there's something mm -hmm. like that, that necessarily narrows it down. And most guys, I mean, let's face it, you, we don't want to have a racing fatality, but everybody else made it through there. And the guys that had problems made it through there multiple times as well. But if the slightest thing goes wrong, you know, all bets are off at that point. And, you know, it was very unfortunate. Well, that was part of the problem with it running in the opposite direction that it was designed. If they had run it in the direction the track was designed to be run, that would not have been an issue. But the overpass was now at the end of a turn. And that's where the problems ended. Yeah. 
Yep, and turn and a big high-speed turn too, because it's a yep. great big loop across there. You know, but it's still fascinating. You can go out and see it, and that's yep. what happens with a, a number of the tracks. Like the road course at Santa Monica was the actual roads. They ran 1909 to 1919, started on Ocean, went down to Wilshire, up Wilshire to um, the old Soldier's Home, which is the Veterans Center now, mm -hmm. and came back down San Vicente. It was an eight-and-a-half-mile course. Wow. You can go out and drive around that today. And they did that from 1909 to 1919. That was Barney Oldfield and Ralph De Palma and terrible Teddy Tetzlaff, all those guys. And so the roads are there. Same thing in Venice. There was another road course in Venice. And, you know, part of what makes it interesting is it, anytime you drive around Los Angeles, there being so many tracks, anywhere you are, you're usually within about five miles of an old racetrack, an old race site. And they go away for a variety of reasons, but... You know, they were all over the place. And as, as you guys mentioned before, there's a wide variety of opportunities for people to race. A lot of different types of, of racing, motorcycle racing. You guys mentioned Ascot earlier, Ascot Park. That was actually the fourth track called Ascot. But down there in Gardena, um, you'd run motorcycles one night and sprint cars the next night and dune buggies the night after that and stock cars the night after. They were open, you know, almost throughout the week, which was wonderful. Yeah. Friday nights, I'd go over on the short track that they had built for the quads and the go-karts. And I uh, ended up picking up a job doing that, uh, working there on Friday nights. So I worked at Nissan down the street. So it was an easy just drop over. And there I was. So what did you do there, Bob? Same thing I do every place else. I talk a lot. Oh, they I actually gave was, you a microphone. They gave me a oh, microphone and I traded off okay. three races. I do three races for, yeah. <laughs> three, I would announce three races for rebuilds on my go-kart when I was racing carts. Ah, very yeah, good. I wonder, you guys, how many of you remember the Los Angeles street races in the early 90s Yeah, uh, in downtown LA? There oh, yeah. was one councilwoman who really pulled for it. I can't remember her name but I think it lasted maybe two years. And one yeah. of my fondest memory is standing down near Philippe's and seeing one of the Jim Hall chaparrales make a turn and go up the hill. It was like, oh my God, I forgot how wonderful that big block sounds. Yeah, I've got, I've got a poster from the first one, yeah. the Ford sponsored. Yeah. It's, up in, uh, it's up in my office. I remember excellent I excellent uh, show. It was, it was amazing how, uh, how they could actually pull something like that off. You couldn't do it today with all the homeless down there, but uh, it's, uh, it was a really unique way to put on a race that really brought out different aspects of the city from the area down around the, the uh, Coliseum all the way up to downtown and, and in there. I remember when I was at Fox 11, I'd cover that when they were having the races in the streets over there then downtown. And you'd get into these camera positions, especially at one of the turns, and here these things would come around a corner, aim directly at you, only for them to pull off at the last minute. And luckily, you're behind a barrier. But still, that's, that's a thrilling thing to be that close to the race action. Yeah. And Long Beach is the same thing. Long yeah. Beach, it, it's been able to last for so many years. They've made a lot of concessions. But the city has supported it and realizing that it is a draw for their city. Mm -hmm. Well, that was, that was something uh, Dusty Brandell worked for city government at the time. And she was also big into racing, of course. And she told me, she said, yeah, she was a big proponent of that. She went down and told him. And if you, I mean, it's easy to look at things today and say, well, this was how it's always been and they should do and whatever else. I said, you really got to go back and put it into context. In the 
late seventies and early eighties, downtown Long Beach wasn't a very no. friendly place to be. Um, a lot of the tattoo parlors and raggedy bars and stuff had gone away and they were just boarded up and it was just a seedy thing. And so they needed to attract a better class of people, let's call it just for lack of other terms there, but they knew they needed something to draw people in and make sure that people understood that Long Beach is a vibrant, modern, cosmopolitan, if you will, city and auto racing saved them. Um, part of what made it possible there too was that whole part over there by Shoreline Drive and whatever doesn't run through neighborhoods. So they were able to adopt and build and transform that in such a way that they could have it suit their needs without chasing everybody out and doing those kind of things. They didn't have to close a whole lot in order to do that. That'd be interesting to see though. What other place might might really be helped by a race like that that can just take over a city as far as California is concerned. Any suggestions? Any thoughts? Could they go back to Corona? The big uh, circle? They, they raced on the circle there. Yeah, it was, that was interesting. That was a good time. 13, 14, and 16, they did that. And it is a, an absolute circle. The original plan on that was make a, a um, wagon wheel type of thing with the city center in the middle and all the big citrus wagons can go around the outside to keep the dust down for all us nice people in the middle. <laughs> uh, that didn't work out. It, uh, the circle doesn't work for, for that, but Grand Boulevard is still there. So that's another fun one you can go drive on. What happens is there's the misconception that if you hold an auto race and people show up, there's huge sponsorship and everyone's going to make a lot of money and I want mine. And that really isn't how it happens. You know, the, the reality of that is, is doesn't play out. You know, you, you show up on a given day and you see all these people there. Like if you go to Irwindale Speedway, for instance, clearly not this year, but you go there on a demo derby night and whatever else, and they got the places packed full and you go, man, these guys must be raking it in. Say, well, did you come last Saturday and watch when they had stock cars running and they had, you know, about a thousand people, decent crowd, but that's what they get is about a thousand people, which is okay. You know, but people look at it on those busy days and say, man, these guys, every day, it must be like, it's like this every time I come here. Well, sure. Yep. The same if you go to Dodger Stadium on July 4th, you know, you go there, the, the place is packed. You think, wow, it's always like this. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Randy and I are very familiar with the uh, Night of Destruction in July. Right. Especially. Um, I, I got married on the starting line. <laughs> And that was the first time that that particular event was sold out because they had publicized the wedding and everything else that was going on. And we had a car show. We had about 50 or 60 hot rods in the center. So a lot of people came out for it. And uh, we got married. We, my wife and I got married. And then every year we, uh, except for this last year, we do our anniversary on the night of destruction for July 4th. Excellent. Mm-hmm. The things you too that, you sh that you're currently seeing with the with the lack of racetracks around Southern California, and the ingenuity of certain people, uh, illegal or not, is the street takeovers and street <clears throat> racing, which has just exploded in Southern California. It's really a, 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 a very real problem. And I have a one of those Yahoo uh, things that sends me the newspaper reports uh, with a couple of key words. One of them being street racing, and yeah. that is growing exponentially every day, seven days a week. I get eight to 10, just about street racing in Southern California and Houston and 
you know, other places where tracks have just gone away, people are not going to stop racing. Are you, now, what, are you going to, talking about that in the sense that street racing as we know it or street racing like guys who do takeovers of intersections and stuff? I'm, in, I'm putting them together. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, one of the things Irwindale tried to do, and it's no longer there, but that's because of COVID, is there was what they called the burnout box. And there was a large area that was blocked off so kids could come out very inexpensively and do what they're doing on the street, but do it in a legal, safer fashion. COVID has killed that. So what's going to happen is the kids are going to go on the street and some of the younger adults will. But we're also losing tracks and still today. Uh, Dar, uh, can you confirm what we're hearing about Fontana and their yeah, track what, what I've read in, in, in talking to the management down there at Fontana, they have made a presentation to the county uh, which it, which watches that track like a hawk, um, you know, for noise and, and every possible violation they could find. But what their plan is to change the two-mile oval to a half-mile oval, bring all the grandstands in, sell off the top portion by the railroad tracks, as I have heard, a distribution center for Amazon, which has direct connection then to both freeways, the, uh, what, the 210 and the and the, uh, um, ten. The, ten. Ten. the 10 and and Cherry Avenue, which is a big wide street now. And uh, if they do that, the track may survive down there. But you know, too, from a couple of years ago when they used to have two uh, NASCAR races there, they couldn't support it. And they ended up taking out the large grandstands on each end and turning them into motorhome parking so that you looked like there were the place was still packed but they'd actually reduced the uh, capacity by I think around 15 or 18,000. Right, but with this plan too, it does include eliminating the drag strip, does it not? Uh, they, it's not in the plans, okay? I can tell you that, I've seen the plans. It is not in the plans. There is definitely room for it. And one of the nice things that could happen would, if there is a long building there that becomes a distribution center for whoever, it also becomes a sound wall, right. which will help uh, drop some of the sound of the half mile and a potential drag strip. But right. you know, the, the bottom line is they're, what, they're hurting. And they're a track that's owned by NASCAR. Yeah. yeah well, well Dar, you, you touched on something there that's key to all of this. You said there's not enough people showing up to support these races. Well, you're not only supporting the races, you're supporting the venue. You're keeping the venue there, whether it's whether it's you know Gilmore Stadium or Irwindale Speedway or Fontana. If the fans don't show up, the ownership really they owe it to themselves to find something that will make them money. That is the ultimate goal in the game here. And if we as fans choose to not attend the thing, or maybe I'll go next year, or whatever it is, or find reasons to not go, that's why these things go away. It's the same things as Bob's Donuts down the street. God, I wish they wouldn't close the place. Well, when's the last time you were there and bought a dozen donuts from Bob? Right. Well, that's why the place closes. So if we don't support it, and we're the guys who are, you know, fans of this stuff, if we don't do it, you know, then, you know, we got nobody to blame but ourselves, really. Yeah. Right. One of the things that had come out yesterday when I was talking to Tim Huddleston at Irwindale was the cost of racing is not going down. It's going up especially with the lack of participation by spectators. So to bear the, the, the brunt of this, the entry fees for racers is going to go up. 
How do you think that's going to affect just attendance by racers? I mean, we've lost many divisions of racing at Irwindale Speedway, for example. Uh, Ajanian doesn't do his uh, turkey night at Irwindale, yet he has in the past, and moved it up to Ventura. It's cost. It's more cost effective. It's also dirt, which is what Ascot exactly. was, was known for. Turkey uh, night should be on dirt, always. Yeah. <laughs> now, well, they did it at Paris. They did it at Ventura. And I loved it at Ventura because it's a five-mile drive. Right. Uh, but I loved it at Irwindale, too, because I work there. And it, it was, you know, it, it, on asphalt, man, those things are quick. But how do, yeah. we, how do we do that? Because the spectators don't realize they are the reason the racing can continue. One of the problems that we have these days is, Call it in the Saugus days, they had mm -hmm. the figure eights and the and the oval track, and you had a ton of Chevelles out there and Camaros and the whole bit. Monte Carlos. We don't have a ready a steady supply of rear wheel drive cars that'll translate over to stock cars for racing any longer. You know, it used to be that Camaro's been sitting in your cousin's backyard for a number of years, and you finally talked him into it, and we. We turned it into a race car, and the, the four of us put it together. We flipped the coin, and, you know, Dar lost, so he has to drive. And <laughs> that, then that's just the way it goes. And, and have you guys seen my driving record, that. by the way? <laughs> <laughs> guys can have that kind of fun back then. I say, but nowadays, you know, there's, there's all these costs involved. But as we mentioned, also, if you take away racing, racers won't quit. They'll go get a boat they'll get themselves a Jeep and go off four wheel and they'll do, they'll do other things. The personality of race people is they're just active. They got to do stuff. They got to solve problems. They want to be part of a team. You know, you might, guy might be a total idiot at work during the week, but he's totally focused and on it when he's checking pressures and stuff, tire pressures at the racetrack for the race team. And it's great. And that's really what it's about. So who's failing the movement, though? Who's is it? The fact that the the manufacturers just aren't making the right cars for racing. What what is the problem? Who is it at fault? Who's if you're looking for fault? Go ahead, I think, I think that uh, what we've lost is the whole idea of a promoter. That you can come in and you can pick up the lease on a on a piece of land, an existing racetrack. If you don't know how to promote it, if you don't know how to do stripper night. If you don't know how to incorporate car shows, if you don't know how to bring in every aspect that will appeal to virtually anybody that, that drives, you're not a good promoter. And I know from, I promote a, a, a regional uh, Nitro Funny Car Series in Tucson, uh, uh, um, Boise, uh, Spokane, and Seattle. And it killed us this year, but I know that I've got to go in and work three weeks before any event, go on stupid television shows and talk with the weather girl at noon and tell her what a wonderful thing is this is and come on i got five tickets here i'm giving out i mean you've got to do everything that a bill donor and uh yeah. and, and jc agajanian and all those guys they had a sales and promotional gene that a lot of people don't have today and stripper night it just doesn't go over like it used to right i'm, Not still, quite. And I'm still trying to pull that one off Wait a minute here. Uh, Hello. Ascot were from Texas Lucy's. Yeah, there we go. There you go. Casey was still alive then, so, you know. Yeah. Even, even Huddleston over at, um, at yep. Owendale, you know, 
the racing people like the super late models and the late models and you know, the actual race car stuff, but it's the circus that sells. Yeah. And you can come out and have the regular racing thing. It goes on and it's great. We all love it. But the circus is what's going to pack them in there. And yeah. so what, what Tim has done there is he is, he's, he runs the late models. He'll have them run a race so that all those people who came to see the circus also get exposed to some racing and say, hey, this is what goes on here every Saturday night. You should come out and watch this just on a regular Saturday. He said, and then when the race is over, then they have the big demo derby and the whole big show. So that's one way of helping to promote your product. And, and it goes from there. Uh, so far as, you know, what to do with costs, uh, it's hard to know. It, there's, as we say, there's not a lot of rear wheel drive cars out there being manufactured today that'll translate into becoming a race car. So you have to build a race car from scratch, essentially. Or mm -hmm. you figure out a way to do front-wheel drive type things. You know. Which he's doing with the Enduros and such. And, and that's another point. The people that are growing up now cannot relate to a rear-wheel drive car because, in many cases, yeah. that's not what they grew up watching. They're, they're Hondas, mm -hmm. they're, they're Toyotas and so the forth. Then the trucks. And that is what they're, that's what they want to see because that's what they can relate to. And Huddleston's doing that with the Enduro, with the skid plate cars. Th those are cars that are attracting attention, not because they're race fans, but people want to see the excitement, the fun, right. the smash them and the crash them. That's, that's what they want to see. And that's why those Nights of Destruction, which started out as a once a year event, became almost an every other month event. Yeah. yeah well, you know, one of the things that's really fun with that is the guys with these front wheel drive cars, they're every bit as serious a car guy as anybody who's ever been a car guy. And their cars go plenty fast and whatnot. Yeah. So as soon as somebody figures out the best way to take those cars and have them compete in some sort of continuing series through a season, and that guy's going to score big. It's also fun to note that another one of the, call it circus shows that really attracts at Irwindale is the drifting shows. Yeah. And those cars are all rear wheel drive. Those are. Which, which is kind of a, an odd way to think about, wait a minute, the guys that are coming in are all rear wheel drive with that, but that's quite, that's a heck of a show too. That's Dar Hawthorne. That's uh, of course my good friend, Harold from down the street. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He is uh, joining us here on our show talking about cars. All right. I've got the uh, roll call here of the tracks according to uh, a website about uh, where all these tracks are in Southern California. And you guys give me a little feedback as to where do you think, are they going to survive? Are they not going to survive with COVID and everything else? Let me, let me start at the bottom. Um, Del Mar, they have a dual oval there. Is that still there? I think they were just running motorcycle races there last time I, last time I checked. Yeah, uh, that could you be. You know, flat track. I think that's, um, not to, I mean, they run awesome car shows down there for good guys. Yeah. I remember going to IMSA races there. Yeah. Well, and the, and the one-off events, the specialty events for like the motorcycles and whatnot, like that flat track, those kind of things will probably still survive. Um, they do require some promotion and whatnot, but it's not a regular weekly show. So you can do it as a specialty event. There's Willow Springs, who we see more as a as a place for a, a lot of the Motor Trend TV shows to do test drives it's on stuff. <laughs> but I mean, that's yeah. the most of the time we see that. But uh, Willow Springs, well, it it's pretty busy as a club track, regardless. It really is. Yeah. And since it's uh, privately owned, 
they can do a little bit more there. They have much more leeway so far as restrictions on what you can and can't do. And they're and, still out in the boonies. Yeah. How about Ventura? Ventura Raceway. What I've heard from Jim Naylor and some of the other people down there is that that one of the reasons that there will be a track there for a while is that it is on land that is granted to the city of Ventura. And one of the provisions is that it has a racetrack there. And if that happens, I have a feeling it would, uh, the uh, family that would then own the rights would be thrilled to put condos all along in there and, uh, you know, beachfront condos. But uh, I mean, as, as someone who's raced there, I mean, I took Corey Cruzman's sprint car class there. Uh, my son and I raced sprint cars there for four years. It's an awesome place. I mean, the, the, the cool air comes in at night and, uh, you know, the, everything changes. And uh, you, you haven't lived until you've gotten a dirt clod right in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Something to look forward to, yeah. Saga Speedway, that's gone, right? Long gone, 1995, that one. Okay. Santa Maria Speedway, way up there in Napomo. There is a new eighth mile yeah, that has been granted up there. There's a, yeah. there's a new eighth mile uh, with, the ex with the possible expansion to, uh, uh, to a quarter mile that uh, uh, by the name of Foster has been working on for the last 12 years. And apparently he's gotten a go-ahead on some land uh, from one of the farmers who was willing to give up a couple million dollars worth of his grazing land. And uh, I, I understand it's moving along. Uh, and then Santa Maria, uh, the dirt track there, the speedway is still, you know, there, I was, I drove by there four weeks ago and there were cars out there on the track on a Saturday night. Well, yeah. Bob, you mentioned Paris too. Paris, P-E-R-R-I-S, raceway right. out there. What's, what's up with that that you're aware of or any of you guys? Well, they're, they're racing every weekend, aren't they? Yeah. For the most part. And they're on county uh, land too, which is right. wonderful. Okay. Plus, they've got the uh, they've got the sprint car class there as well going on a regular basis with um, I forget who the lead instructor is, but I know Donnie took the class. There is, it's a beautiful. It, it is a beautiful, extremely fast track. What about Button Willow? It's a nice track. That's SCCA owned. But there's but as I recall, there weren't any grandstands there. Is that right, Bob? Last time yeah, I was there, there were no grandstands. Mm -hmm. No, it's basically a club track. It's SCCA's. Uh, personal track and Warren Smith who used to be with NHRA originally managed it when uh, he left Bakersfield sweet drag strip yeah and it's it's built on marginal land anyway so there's there's not a whole lot you're going to do with the place so that I think Button Willow will be there for a long time it's at the corner of godforsaken land <laughs> and the interstate five but it's also a different attitude up there Bakersfield yeah. does support they're racetracks. Very much so. I mean, I, I used to go to the speed, the Oildale. That place was packed on a Saturday night. That was an event. People dressed up just to go there and get clotted with dirt and, and mud. And there homes all around it. Yeah, which there weren't when I was going out there. But uh, I can remember EPA coming by and watching and checking dust for oh, uh, right. you know how much pollution there was from dust in the air. And we'd have to uh, water that track down quite a bit. I had talked to Spud Simpkins years ago, and he told me that when he took over management at Oildale, he looked around and he saw the only people nearby was a trailer park just to the north of him. Yep. So he went over there and he talked to the trailer park guys and he said, hey, what can we do to be better neighbors? And they ran down a list. They said, well, you can stop having your guys racing until three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you can stop racing in the parking lot, kicking up all the dust. After the event, you can do this and this and this. He said, okay. So he agreed. He, he 
inserted a curfew, voluntary curfew on the racing. They would water the parking lot. They did all these different things. And in return from the trailer park, they had them sign off a thing to say, hey, we're not going to complain about the noise from the racetrack. So long as they behave themselves, we'll all get along. And then the city council up there was able to take that. And anytime there was new development, they went straight to the developers and they said, hey, guys, you guys, you know, got to recognize there's a noise source nearby. You can't move in and then complain. And it was a very forward thinking part on his, on Oildale's uh, concern. And that's why a lot of the, the houses around there, they just live with the sound because you pretty much have to, you know, because it was built in from the 1950s. And wow. that was some good, good thinking on their part. Yeah, and it so was because we behave, you know, be good neighbors. We all want to get along. We just want to have our fun and not have to worry about you chasing us out. Yeah, because Pomona basically took the opposite stance and they no longer have road racing. The yeah. drag strip is limited as to what it could run. They challenge rather than try and work with the community. Well, they also pay off the city of Laverne. Yeah. Uh, a little bit about, yeah. Yeah. Not well, enough. Maybe a little. Yeah, not yeah. enough, though, because they're down to what? Uh, what, is it, what is it? 15 days a year of 13. Uh, 13 days of racing that they can have there. And that was a viable road course. Uh, it was an awesome road course coming up underneath yep. the, uh, the tunnel there and, right. and making that uh, left-hander. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, that's where the Times Grand Prix started. All right, and so what about Irwindale? Edelson's trying to keep it alive, but he's a, the leaseholder. He's not the property owner. Hmm. It's owned by two uh, Chinese nationals uh, who, uh, who have overpriced the resale of it a number of times. And I think they're just taking anything they can get right now. There were originally three Chinese gentlemen who bought it, thinking they were going to turn it into a huge distribution center, not realizing what was underneath it was god-awful uh, chemicals, tires, parts of the, the earthquake from uh, Northridge, and not really anything that could be developed. If you, if you take a look at the grandstand for, uh, uh, for the circle track, you'll notice that it is uh, a floater, and it, uh, it varies depending on the water content of, of where the grandstand sits within a couple of inches. <laughs> if you look at the corners, so I never noticed that. For, for them to turn it into something else, I don't think that's very viable. And the last time I heard, the price tag was $26 million for that little crappy piece of land. <laughs> but, and that's reduced from what they originally paid. Yeah, it I is. Believe. That is reduced. Yeah. Yeah. They, they paid fire over, sale. Yeah. Fire sale. They paid <laughs> yeah. over 40, I think 40 million for that. And the guys at uh, the, the trash company just walked away and go, yeah. <laughs> Well, can I mention an operating track that that usually slips through the uh, the viewfinder? Sure, sure um, go ahead. Is Industry Hills and Kelly yes. Inman running uh, running uh, uh, Speedway motorcycles up there? That is an awesome place. Three bars, tacos. I mean, it's just and it's usually very well attended and in a really yeah. good bike count and a very very entertaining show. And it's and it's over and done in three hours on a Wednesday night. Now, they have lost their announcer. Yes, they have, sadly. Uh, sadly Bruce. enough. And he was also our announcer at Irwindale. Yeah. Uh, but Bruce uh, passed away, succumbed to his uh, his many he was, illnesses. He was a trooper, too. Yeah. Hall of Fame at uh, Long Beach for being the announcer there from almost its inception. <clears throat> it's interesting to see. We still have, though, among the tracks, certainly uh, – 
fans who want to come out from time to time. The big question is with all this COVID thing, as we wrap it up here, what what's going to get people, you know, how long is this COVID thing going to keep everybody away? November 4th. Yeah. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> yeah. I think uh, you've been watching a little the, too much Fox News. I think they're. Uh, I unfortunately I watched them all. I, you know, <laughs> as I say to my son, you got to know what the enemy is thinking. Uh, but it, but one of the things, like, and I very much applaud Blake Bowser at Auto Club Famoso Raceway, is that he has not stopped racing. He's not he's not allowed by by Kern County regulations to bring in spectators. Right. But if you've got a race car and then you've got nine friends that want to come in with you, you buy another entry for another car and you guys can come on in. And it's, and I think that he's come up with some innovative ways. He's still running summit series events. He's mm -hmm. still, I think running a, a super Chevy event. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that are going on there almost every weekend. So he's surviving and thank God he had the opportunity to run the yeah. good vibrations March meet last March, or yeah. I don't know what he would have done. No. Yeah. Cause that's a big money draw for him. That's, that's probably besides the hot rod reunion. Yeah. Besides the hot rod reunion, the, that's the two biggest events that are there all year. Now, Irwindale's doing pretty much the same thing in that uh, they're holding weekly events as well. Drag strip. Anyway, the oval, is they're doing a pay-per-view i believe to try and get people to watch that but it's uh it, it's 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 not doing it the drag strip has always carried that place for the most part pay-per-view is mm -hmm. expensive and you've got to get you know x number nine thousand ten thousand people will actually step up and pay for yeah. it in order to pay-per-view to even be considered i know that's one of the reasons blake bowser stopped doing it it was yeah. costing him uh $21,000 to do four days of the March meet, and he was bringing in around 11. Harold, of course, back in time just to tell us where we could find your stuff to find out more about where all those tracks were in Southern California. Harold, you have books, you have videos. What do you, where can they get them? HOPublishing.com. Harold Osmer Publishing, go figure. You know, Amazing. You can take a look great. there. I really don't keep up on it too much anymore, you know. Um, I, I do the Turkey Night program every year for Agajanians and those guys, but um, you know, we just do what we do. We just keep the passion going, and um, I'm interested in it. I still am. But part of what happened with me was in the early days of internet forums and stuff. It was great. I could contact you guys all around the country, and we could share photos, pictures, information, and whatnot. Right up to the point to where. Some guy scans a page out of my book, uses the text from my book to explain it, and then wants to argue with me as if he's the expert, and so I don't participate in a lot of this stuff, as I'm sure you can understand. What you guys are doing now is a vast leap ahead of, you know, what was possible back, you know, in the pre-internet days when I wrote the books, which was the late, the late 90s when I did all of that. Yeah. You know, it's not better or worse, it's just how it is. And uh, you guys, you guys are doing great. So you know. thank you. Thank oh, you. you guys, you'll be able to find it through you, I'm sure. All right. Yeah. Well, get a hold of us and we'll pass you on to Harold and we'll take it from there. Dara, what do you got? Is your show still going and where do we find it? Yeah, we do it once a month. It's nitroreports.com. It's also on, on Facebook, uh, Nitro Reports page. Um, in June, we had 62,000 people crazed people watch it they must have been sh totally shut-ins and then we, we're usually around 40,000 people that watch it during the course of the month we're uh, we have five advertisers and uh, um, 
you know, it's, it's fun to do. And then I also write for bankshift.com and uh, primarily on nostalgia racing. I hate the word nostalgia, but on, on modern nitro racing that doesn't involve the camping world or uh, mellow yellow uh, sponsorship. Very good. Uh, uh, you know, anything I can. And then I promote also the uh, United Nitro Funny Cars series, which we hope to have six races uh, next year. Three at Spokane, two at Seattle, and two at, uh, at Tucson. Does that, add up? that might add up. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, we, we put on uh, local nitro races with uh, the heritage-type cars from the NHRA series. So join us on Radio.com. Also join us uh, two weeks after we air this on Radio.com because then this show will be on our Two Tired Guys Productions YouTube channel. So you can see what these guys look like and talk like in person right there over his shoulder. Don't forget to subscribe to us. That always helps. Follow us on social media. Get uh, and become a Two Tired Guys patron on Patreon. Until next time, I'm Randy. That's Bob. Uh, that's Dar. And of course, that's Harold. As we were having fun talking about cars. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. Take care, people.